remember I said earlier, gay is a gift. You have this opportunity to step outside the patriarchy when you come out. And I think there are a lot of guys who instead of embracing that gift, say, oh gosh, wait, this is my one deviation that I'm allowed. I'm gonna be gay, but I'm gonna conform to what a man is in every other respect. And that is so that I do not feel as though this patriarchal culture has devalued me. I do not want straight people, straight culture to look down on me. And I think that straight culture does look down on men who behave more effeminately. And I think that it all comes from a place of fear. Hello and welcome to another episode of I'm Coming Out, the podcast where people tell me, Johnny Harvey, their coming out stories. And this week's guest is the author Lev A.C. Rosen. Lev is an incredibly accomplished writer. He already has a number of novels under his belt. His books have been translated into lots of different languages and are regularly featured in best of and year-end lists. His latest camp, which piqued my interest in him, is Young Adult Fiction. I read it last week and it will definitely be featuring in my own year-end list because I absolutely love the story and the themes that it explores. It was, however, a bittersweet read for me for a few reasons. I found myself wishing a story like that had existed when I was a teenager. And most gay people, myself included, don't really have much of an adolescence. A lot of us go through a delayed adolescence in our 20s, I think it's fair to say. So it is sad that so many of us miss out on those coming of age experiences. But reading this story, I got to live out some of them vicariously through the characters. The interview was, of course, recorded remotely. Lev was in New York. I was in my makeshift studio at home outside Dublin. This was my first transatlantic interview, so the line wasn't always great. The sound is a bit muffled in parts when our voices mix together, but it should be pretty okay. We chatted about his honest thoughts on femme shaming and why he wanted to explore it in the book. Growing up gay in Manhattan, his uneventful but funny coming out to his mother story, his teenage crush on Ryan Felipe, the subtle forms of homophobia he's experienced from liberal people, being culturally Jewish whilst also converting to paganism, and lots of other things. You can get in touch with me by emailing me at johnny at imcomingoutpod.com and tweet me at imcomingoutpod. I would genuinely love to hear from you. Any sort of feedback would be very much appreciated. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating, review and subscribe as it really helps me and other people to discover the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening and here it is. So I read your latest book, Camp Over the Weekend, which I very much enjoyed. I flew through it. I really wish there had been a book like that when I was a teenager. And I think actually reading it made me feel quite sad and quite wistful for those teenage experiences, which most LGBTQ people never have and which are sort of rites of passage in a person's development. So I was just wondering when I was reading it, had you ever been to one of these LGBTQ youth camps when you were younger? And if so, is the story at all autobiographical? <laughs> uh, no, the the LGBT summer camps 
did not really exist when I was young enough okay. for them. They exist now. There are a bunch of them, and there are many for adults too. So if you ever find yourself in the states, you can relive that experience okay. um, the way you had it the first time. But I did go to a summer camp. I went to a conservative Jewish summer camp, and though the book is in no way autobiographical and none of the characters are taken from people I knew at camp, the physical space of the camp is very much based on the camp I went to. That's what I I really stole. (laughs) So you didn't have any LGBTQ group at your Jewish youth group, did you? No, my Jewish camp, uh, it was conservative. Okay. It's a type of Judaism, um, and it's different in the UK, I think. So it's one step down from Orthodox, one step up from Reform. Um, So it's the middle way. And back then, they really did not want to discuss queerness, LGBT issues in any way, shape, or form. And when I became a counselor there, I was actually told specifically not to discuss my sexuality. Okay, because I know there's different divisions of Judaism and some are more accepting of homosexuality than others. Is that right? And the conservative movement has become more accepting over time. But at the time, it was not particularly in this camp was. I mean, there were other queer staff besides me by the time I was a counselor, but it was very much a don't talk about it situation. And so that's quite common now in the States. I just Googled it before I started the interview. So LGBTQ youth summer camps, is it's really a thing over there, isn't it? There's a bunch of them. I don't know if I'd call it common just because summer camp itself is extremely common. So there's like, you know, yeah. a bazillion summer camps and then maybe, you know, 15 LGBT ones. That's a very small percentage. But yeah, it is definitely a thing. And you can find it. And I am deeply jealous of today's queer youth for being able to have access to that. And is that what inspired you to write the book? No, I actually came up with the idea of a queer summer camp and then thought, wait a sec, is that ridiculous? Does that exist? And had to Google it like you did to confirm that it existed. In the book, the main subject that you explore is one of internalized homophobia and femme shaming, which unfortunately is really rife within the gay community. So what inspired you to write about that topic? Well, what inspired the whole book was this desire to write a YA queer version of the old Doris Day Rock Hudson sex comedies. I really love those movies. I love Down With Love, the sort of postmodern retelling of that. And I always felt like it was unfair, as with a lot of historical genres, that even though there were queer people who existed during that time, like Rock Hudson, they never really got to tell their own stories. They never got to tell queer stories. Um, So I wanted to do that, but I didn't want to deal with the homophobia of the 60s. So I made it contemporary. And I thought that if I was going to do a zany sort of screwball sex comedy, I wanted to make it teenagers because the sort of, I think that the audience in the 60s was much more willing to accept the sort of nonsense that those plots are. And I feel like we wouldn't accept it from adults as much these days. 
So that was really the initial inspiration. And the idea was that since those were sort of battle of the sexes type movies that, you know, that was what they were about. I would, I was going to make it battle of the gender presentations, essentially. Okay. Um, so battle of mask versus femme. And once I had that, I'd always sort of wanted to write a summer camp novel. And I knew that this book, this battle of mask femme, had to take place in a very queer community so that we could have discussions about it, so that people could understand exactly what everyone was talking about. And so making it a queer summer camp seemed like the perfect way to do it. And from there, you know, it, the idea was that it was going to be, since those those movies are about someone pretending to be someone else to win someone's heart, but they find out that they're actually in love, maybe they're trying to, you know, that kind of, like people are pretending to be other people so that they could win love essentially or win a bet, but then they fall in love. I was, because that was sort of what the plots were and I knew it was going to be this mask femme thing. I decided that what made most sense is have like a very much not mask for mask guy, try to win a mask for mask guy. And from there that opened up all of the exploration that you see of internalized homophobia and of sort of what mask for mask even means. And was there any personal motivation from yourself in wanting to cover that topic? Well, I mean, I certainly... From your own lived experiences or... I mean, I've never participated in mask for mask. I was never going to pass. And I've never decided that I was going to remake myself. But I do remember... When I first came out and I was like 14, one of the things that I felt very strongly about was I remember really sort of feeling like everyone wanted to see me now that I was I was out and queer as the queer guy, as the gay guy. And that was very much a stereotypical role for a lot of them. I remember like women I'd never spoken to who I'd never been friends with after I came out all of a sudden they were coming up to me and saying like, we have to go shoe shopping. You know, they wanted to make me Mm. into a best friend figure that I did not want to be. And so I felt very much like I had to fight against being a stereotype in every way, shape or form. And that meant not being femme. That meant sort of getting away from femme guys. And it meant sort of asserting myself by making myself the opposite of what I thought everyone thought I was. And I think that, you know, that's something a lot of queer teens still deal with is this idea that once you come out, you are sort of made into a particular trope of a human being. You are seen as this, as a, as a type, and you're not allowed to try on different personalities the way that straight teens usually do and sort of take the things you like from those personalities. And figure out who you really are. You don't get to experiment with that because everyone will always see you just as the queer kid. So I thought that, I think that that is a lot of what influenced me is a lot of teen levs sort of femme shaming and wanting to sort of get away from this idea of being a stereotype because he felt like someone needed to be, he felt like he needed to be seen as someone else and that w- that inspired a lot of what I was doing in the book. And, you know, I, I said 
before before you started recording when you were talking, I said, you know, a lot of these books I write, they're for Teen Lab. I write these books for Teen Lab. And I think that this is a book that I hope if Teen Lab had picked it up, he would have been like, oh, you know what? The way people see me isn't about me. It's about them. And I get to be whoever I want to be. I can get, I get to be whatever yeah. queer person I want to mm. be. And if they continue to foist this identity upon me, then I just have to ignore them, essentially. I have to walk away from them um, because they don't want to be my friend. They want to be friends with some image that they're putting over me. And I think that that would have led Teen Lev to embrace the queer community a lot earlier than he did. Mm. So it fulfills some part of your younger self in a way. It's definitely sort of a teaching my younger self situation. Yeah. And you grew up in Manhattan and went to school there also. So what must that have been like? <laughs> I went to a liberal private high school in Manhattan. See Jack of Hearts for more information. My okay. last YA. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I went to a liberal private high school and it's hard to say exactly. I mean, one of the things I write about a lot is what I grew up with, which is the homophobia that doesn't look like homophobia. I'm really fascinated by this. I feel like most people, when they hear homophobia, they picture someone beating up a gay kid or calling them the F word, let's say. Um, I'm not going to say that on your podcast. No, 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 I think that there are other kinds of homophobia and that kind of homophobia can come from very liberal, well-intentioned people. And it's the sort of homophobia where it's like, I love gay marriage. I love gay people. I have no problem with that. But maybe those people up there, you know, on the float, dancing in their underwear, that's a bit much, don't you think? Like, I don't mind you being gay as long as you're not like that. And it comes from this place where straight people are essentially telling gay people the right way to be gay. Um, And I think that that is a kind of homophobia. And I think it's a kind of homophobia that even extremely liberal people are very accepting of and they consider it very normal because it's the sort of homophobia that's about making sure everyone still conforms to patriarchal values. And that's really the stuff that queer people have an opportunity to really take down. I always say gay is a gift and it's because you were given this opportunity to just step outside the patriarchy and start hammering it to pieces from the outside. And I think that a lot of straight people don't realize what they're doing when they start start sort of telling queer people, this is how to be queer, this is how to be queer. And a lot of queer people, especially younger queer people, queer teenagers, hear that from people they love, from their parents, who are like, I'm so happy you're gay, just don't be like that gay. And they internalize it. And there's this idea that I did not come up with that uh, was in an essay I read of a few essays from different people. So I don't know where the idea originated, but they call it the special gay. And that is a gay person who has essentially been told that because they don't act like other gay people, and this goes back to Teen Lev too, because you don't act, Teen Lev, like the effeminate stereotype that everyone thinks you to be, you are special. You are different than the rest of them. And that was me telling myself that. But if it were my parents telling me that, if it were someone's parents being like, I love you, I don't mind that you're gay, but what makes you the lovable kind of gay is that you are not like those other gay people, then that identity 
becomes super important to you because the moment you start drifting into that other kind of gay people area, that means you lose the love of your family. And I think a lot of great people are telling their queer kids this without even realizing it, which is kind of the most horrific part is that no one really understands how homophobic is all of this, this interaction is. They just sort of see it as family value stuff. And yeah, I, I think a lot of liberal people are like that. And that's the kind of homophobia I really grew up with. And so I'm really fascinated with exploring it and exploring the ways that liberal straight people try to tell queer people how to be queer. Yeah, and that's where a lot of internalized homophobia stems from. That's where the roots are coming from, isn't it? It's almost like we'll accept you, but on our terms. Yes, exactly. And in camp with Hudson and his internalized homophobia, you know, even in this queer space, even in a space where there's essentially no straight people and he gets to be whoever the hell he wants to be, he still has that voice in his head from his parents Mm -hmm. telling him, the kind of queer person he has to be. And that voice, he has to embrace it. Otherwise, he's afraid of losing their love. And it be, he ends up sort of being this policeman for the patriarchy on behalf of straight people in a queer space that there are no straight people in. So even in these places where there are no straight people, the sort of what they've done, the, their fingers reach in and still affect us. Yeah, it's like when that homophobia is coming from people you love, you feel like you can't do anything in any way to lose their their approval. Or if it's even coming from friends who are homophobic, you can't even contemplate what it might mean if you lose their friendship. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of, especially like, you know, straight teenage boys. I really hope straight teenage yeah. boys read this too. You know, they have a gay friend who's kind of jockey and they're like, well, you're not like other gays. You're cool. And, you know, that's homophobia, guys. That's homophobia. I don't I don't like you can be you can think you're liberal as you want to think you are, but you are homophobic if you say anything remotely resembling that. And that goes for queer people. too. And so what was your awareness of homosexuality growing up? Oh, uh, I grew up in New York City. Uh <laughs> Yeah, my mom has gay friends. Guy who's been cutting my hair since I was five is gay. He's one of the first people I came out to. Uh, Yeah, no, I was never... I I know you guys over in the UK have had some law that I don't remember the name of where, like, you couldn't discuss it in schools at all. And I would say it wasn't, like, you know... Section 28. It wasn't on the, the syllabus growing up for me. There was one class, actually, where we... We had an ethics class in my high school and every week was on a different topic. And one of the weeks was about queer people and like accepting queer people. And it was a terrible, deeply outdated lesson. Well-intentioned, but the teacher was out of his mind. But generally, you know, it wasn't really on the agenda. But I was I was the president of the Gay Straight Alliance in high school. I did not have the situation that a lot of you folks had growing up in the UK. We had a gay-straight alliance. I was in it all four years of high school. In your school. And I was president by the end of it. Yeah. So what was it that first made you think that you might be gay? You know, I know a lot of people have these realization moments, but I did not that I recall. I remember I remember when I was like 12, I had, I had a sex dream about a guy 
And that was definitely a moment where I woke up and I was like, huh, okay then. Let's, con- you know, and it was sort of a let's consider this moment, but it had never, I never had a moment where like, I was like, ah, yes, that boy right there, I'm in love with him. And like, now I am a homosexual. Like, and I never really had a moment either where I was like, this is something I should be ashamed of. This is something I should be worried about. I was very much a sort of childlike, like I was not one of those kids who was, you know, trying to be 17 when they were 12. I was very much like forever my head in a book as a kid. And Mm. um, then, you know, 12, 13, I had this dream and I was like, okay. And I'd read recently actually a book uh, which had gay people in it and had sort of like exposed me to, you know, gay romance it was a gay romance in a high fantasy and it was just sort of like all right i'll deal with this later because <laughs> i didn't really you know i went to an extremely small k-8 school there were 18 kids in my whole grade um oh so the idea of like being romantic with anyone was sort of miles away from me because it was so like i, I i'd grown up with these people it was weird And like, I just wasn't that interested in romance. And then, you know, I got to high school and there were other queer people and I gave it a real think. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm probably queer. And, you know, here are my queer friends. Awesome. Everything's great. (laughs) Um, They were mostly women, but they were very wonderful and supporting. And since this podcast is about coming out stories, I warned you beforehand, mine is extremely short. I remember freshman year of high school, like 14, a bunch of people were sitting around. Oh, sorry. So what age were you then when you knew you were gay? What age would you say you were about? I mean, okay. like, I was pretty sure of it myself. Um, and then 14, freshman year of high school, I had these gay friends and straight friends were all sitting around. And I was like, you know, I think everyone's kind of bisexual. And one of my straight friends is like, no, Lev, you're just gay. And I said, both things can be true. And that was my coming out. Um, and uh, that was that was pretty much it. Like, I never really felt... I, I find the construct of coming out to be deeply ridiculous. So I never really felt a need to, like, create a moment around it beyond that. Like, all my friends knew. I was out. That was that. Why do you find it ridiculous, though? Because straight people don't have to do it. Yeah, but it, our history is very different. It's a very different situation. I mean, that is it is a different situation, but I just don't think that coming out needs to be a production, let's say. I don't think... I mean, if you want to make it one, no judgment. But I just think that the idea that we have to sort of say, hey, by the way... I know you all thought I was straight from like the moment I was born because everyone thinks everyone is straight. But guess what? I think that's sort of ridiculous. The fact that anyone assumes that a person is straight to begin with is what bothers me. Okay, but your friends and your family, your friends in school were all really accepting of it of the time at the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we went to, like I said, this high school had a ethics component so if i'd gotten bullied in any way like overtly you know that person would have been kicked out of school immediately 
so mostly I dealt with the sort of homophobia I was talking about before, the sort of like, now that you're queer, here's who you have to be. That was what I dealt with more. I didn't deal with bullying or people trying to oppress me. I didn't, I'm trying to remember, like, my parents, I never really had a conversation with them, but I remember after college, my freshman year of college, when I, like, there hadn't been many boys to date in high school, but um, I was, my mom was driving me home over fall break from the airport after I got home from college, and I was complaining about some boy who just broke my heart, and my mom sort of treated this like a coming out, even though in my mind, she already knew. And she said, you know, when I had two boys, I didn't think I'd have to worry about this. But because I do, let me tell you something my mother told me, men are scum. Um, Right, okay. That was my mother dealing with my coming out. And then later in the conversation, I, you know, when I was like, it wasn't about queerness, it was about heartbreak. But uh, afterwards, I... I said, and dad knows, right? And my mother said, your father's not stupid, Lev. (laughs) This is why I said my story wouldn't be that interesting. (laughs) No, that's cool. I think that's quite a good one. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny, if nothing else. But uh, I didn't have to deal with much of anything. Of course, we're all constantly coming out. And certainly, you know, there have been people who've been like, what? But I don't see... Yeah, to me, it was never that big a deal. And I think it's because of the environment I grew up in. But I do think that, yeah, like, straight people should have to come out as straight, too, if we're all gonna do this, you know? (laughs) So you weren't fearful at all in in any way about coming out to your parents. You knew yourself that they would be entirely accepting of it. Oh, yeah, my mom has gay friends. Like, it was never, it was never a big deal to me. (laughs) So I just assumed... And if they had been, you know, if if they'd suddenly been homophobic assholes, I knew I had a bunch of queer friends who would take me in and, like, take care of me pretty quickly if needed. But that was never even, like, it never even struck me as something that might happen. So do you not appreciate, though, that your coming out experience is very, very different to a lot of people's? Oh, yeah. No, I'm well aware of how lucky I am. I definitely lucked out. I mean, you know, you you read camp. I think that it's important for kids to come out when they feel safe and to be who they are only when they're safe, when we're talking about actual teenagers. So I know that I was very lucky to be safe from the get-go because I grew up in an extremely liberal city in uh, with liberal parents. You know, it was it was never that big a deal. The only thing that was kind of a big deal was we went to an Orthodox temple, even though we ourselves were not Orthodox. <laughs> and so it did. so my queerness definitely sort of affected my relationship with Judaism because, you know, I would ask the rabbi about it and he would be like, that's Im-. the words he used was immature because men sexual sex with men is, is supposed to be in service to having children. And you can't do that when you're two men. And therefore, it is it is not right. It is not for men to do. And uh, I remember Yom Kippur, which is like a day of atonement in Judaism. I remember the rabbi getting up there and saying homosexuals' names would not be written in the Book of Life. But I also knew that this was an extreme Orthodox form of Judaism, which my family did not follow. We just went to this temple because it was nearby. <laughs> 
So I just sort of was like, eh, okay, then the religion part isn't for me, which was fine because at that point I was also like, one God, that doesn't make sense. More gods, that makes sense to me. So culturally, I have learned to embrace my Judaism, but it took some separating it from from that experience. And religiously, I'm pagan, so... (laughs) What's your relationship? Sorry, I didn't understand that part. What's your relationship with Judaism now? So do you still consider yourself to be a member of that religion, or...? I consider myself culturally Jewish. The thing that a lot of non-Jews don't get about Judaism is that it is a religion, but it's also kind of an ethnic background. And so... Yes, I... So in terms of like holidays and cultural events, you consider yourself Jewish? Yeah, I celebrate Passover and Hanukkah and the various festivals, but I very seldom go to temple. You know, the actual religious stuff. And this is honestly most Reformed Jews in the US. Like, <laughs> we're, we're not... Uh, it, it's very much a culture and not a religion for a lot of us. Okay, and you mentioned there that you're also pagan. Uh, yeah, yeah, the multiple gods thing. Uh, one god never made sense to me, so multiple gods makes more sense to me. And yeah, I'm ordained. I'm a high pagan priest. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and that obviously, I mean, there are, pagan is like an umbrella term. There's like a thousand different religions that fall under paganism, and mine is unique to me. And there are plenty that are, homophobic or deeply racist okay. forms of paganism that are homophobic, gender essentialist, racist. I have no part of any of those. Those are all disgusting. Okay. So you do consider yourself to be quite spiritual and you this is the spirituality that suits you best. Yeah. I don't know if I'm like super spiritual, but like yeah. when I pray, uh, then, you know, I'm praying to, to more than one being. And I, I, my understanding of the universe is, that what we call the divine is multifaceted, let's say. And okay. it's not some guy on a cloud and it's not the guy in the Torah or the Bible because he seems deeply unpleasant. So <laughs> yeah. it's about the gods that I find in the world, essentially. And so how do you go about practicing paganism? Well... That's the thing. Like I said, I'm not that. Okay. <laughs> I have, uh, I have an altar in my room with an athame, which is a wand or a knife. Uh, it's both in my case. It's got it's, it's multi-purpose, and I do little ritualistic things by myself. When I was in college, I was a member of a larger pagan group, and we had more constant rituals. And they were group rituals, and uh, we studied certain religions and uh, stuff together. But generally now, I'm the only one in my immediate area. So it's it's a solo practitioner kind of situation now. But I, uh, you know, when I do ritual stuff, I do it in my own way. And it's based on various practices I've learned over the years, because I've studied lots of forms of paganism. And what seems most suited to that moment. But I do have, I I have a strong leaning towards what people call chaos magic. (laughs) What's that? I'm intrigued. Do tell. 
uh, chaos magic tends to be about the idea that you, it's the butterfly effect sort of thing. It's this like, I'm going to make a butterfly flap its wings in an attempt to get something to happen. And except instead of make to make the butterfly flap the wings, what you do is you put a lot of energy into something, sometimes with sigils, sometimes with other ritual, and then you do your very best to forget you ever had anything to do with it. <laughs> because you have to sort of let go of the energy you put into the world and understand that it's not always going to give you what you want it to. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it, I like sigils um, and I like charging things uh, with energy and I like, you know, burning candles and stuff like that. <laughs> I can still summon all four of the elements if I need to and cast a circle, but I don't find myself doing that very often. No, I, I get that, charging your energy into something and releasing it and letting go. I mean, they touch on that in lots of religions, don't they? That's a real common spiritual principle. It's funny. I remember once talking to a rabbi about my paganism and my, you know, because he was very much like, what do you mean you're not Jewish? Your name is Lev Rosen. <laughs> but, and I remember I was talking about it and he was like, oh, you just sound Hasidic, which is a whole sect of Judaism. And they're extremely orthodox and deeply sexist. There's no such thing as a reform Hasidim as far as I know. But their view of the world and God is apparently very similar to my own. It's just that they, the way they enact traditions is deeply problematic to me, let's say. No judgment on people who are happily Hasidim, but I do not want to be a part of the culture that treats women like that. Okay. No, no but I, I'm really happy that you found a spirituality that works for you. So just to finish up on a lighter note, I wanted to ask you, who were your gay crushes when you were growing up? I asked this to everybody. Oh, man. Yeah, like many men of my generation, it was probably Ryan Felipe. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, the... There's that movie and that yes. scene. And <laughs> like many young men, it was definitely a fella that I was uh, very much interested in pursuing were he available to me. Um, but that's that's the biggest celebrity crush I remember having. And he still looks incredible today, doesn't he? I think he's in his mid-40s. He doesn't age. <laughs> Yeah, I have. I, I mean, there's maybe there's a portrait of him in an attic somewhere. I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, he, he the, the crush continues. I will say it unashamedly. The crush continues. Although, is he problematic? I can never remember who's problematic now. I don't um, think so. Okay, good. <laughs> and I also wanted to ask you, we've already touched on femme shaming and that it's prevalent amongst gay men and in the gay community. So what would you say yourself to those who are who are perpetrators of it and to those who are on the receiving end? What words of wisdom would you have for them? Okay, well those are two those are two questions. I would say that for people who genuinely claim like they are not attracted to femme guys, um they want nothing to do like I think it's fine to just not be attracted to a person. I'm not going to judge you on that. But if you say, I'm not into femme guys, 
what it, I think it's important for you to genuinely look at that and say, what is it about that? Why, why is that? Why am I saying I'm not into femme guys? What is it about femme guys that I'm turned off by? And why am I turned off by it? Because nine times out of 10, what it is, is I'm turned off by people who are not going to pass as straight and so make me feel unsafe. That is the situation that I think a lot of these men are going to be in is I want to conform. And I think a lot of, remember I said earlier, gay is a gift. You have this opportunity to step outside the patriarchy when you come out. And I think there are a lot of guys who instead of embracing that gift say oh gosh wait this is my one deviation that i'm allowed i'm allowed i'm going to be gay but i'm going to conform to what a man is in every other respect and that is so that i do not feel as though this patriarchal culture has devalued me i do not want straight people straight culture to look down on me and i think that straight culture does look down on men who behave more effeminately. And I think that it all comes from a place of fear. If you're saying, I'm not into femme guys, I don't want to be a femme guy. It's a, it comes from a place of fear. It comes from this place of, I need to conform to the dominant culture so that they don't disrespect me, so they don't treat me differently. And sometimes that's so ingrained that it becomes a sort of like, well, it's just a physical attraction thing. But I think you really need to think about it because it's not just a physical attraction thing. You know, a gesture isn't a physical attraction thing. Uh, a voice, physical attraction is, you know, a sum of many different parts. And right. uh, then there's emotional attraction too. So the idea that you are sweeping a whole category of men and an extremely nebulous category too, because what does femme even mean out of your potential dating pool is definitely not just a preference. It's a psychological thing and it's a choice. Right. And that's something that you need to examine within yourself because it usually comes from fear. And I think if you're a femme guy and you're crushing on a straight guy or a masculine guy who is not interested in you, then my advice to you would be, you know, you could do better. <laughs> this guy is clearly scared of his own homophobic, scared of his own homosexuality, scared of the way culture treats him. And you are the brave one here. You're the stronger person for being whoever the hell you want to be. Straight people be damned. And, you know, if they're actively telling you, sorry, you're too femme for me, like that guy's an asshole anyway, like move on. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. The gayest are the bravest, aren't they? They're the ones that are really serving on the front lines. I 100% agree. Lev, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you. This has been fun. Good, good. And I finished camp now, so I haven't read any of your other books. So what do you think I should read next? Oh, you haven't read Jack of Hearts and Other Parts? You should read Jack no. of Hearts and Other Parts. <laughs> okay, so that should be next on my reading list. Yeah, I think you'll have a lot of thoughts about that one. Okay, cool. Jack, in many ways, is a braver book than Camp. So okay. I think you, it deals with a lot of similar themes, but I think you'll find it interesting. Cool, so I'll have to dive into that one next. Yeah, I'm not sure. Some of my books never made it to the UK, so that's really... No, depth is there. So if you want one of my adult books, which is not as gay, although it's still pretty gay, 
uh, my science <laughs> fiction my noir depth is out. <laughs> yeah, Jack of Hearts and other parts, I definitely think you should read next. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Lev, thank you so much for your time today. And I know we're going to be hearing so much from more from you as well in the years to come. And best luck with all thank of you. your future projects and all of your endeavors. Thank you, Lev. Thank you so much. 